You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Good morning. As Josh said, my name is Cheryl, and I'm one of the volunteers here at Hill City. I'm part of the women's team, and I also recently had the great privilege of leading our latest Alpha class. I have a passion for the Word of God and for its transforming power, and I've had a little bit of an opportunity to teach in the women's ministry and also through my seminary program, but this is my first time teaching on a Sunday morning. So I'm so excited to share with you as we continue our study through 1 Timothy today. Um, We're going to be in 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. If you want to open there, we'll get there in just a couple of minutes. But I'm very grateful that uh, Josh let me teach on this particular passage because although it has some excellent and important truths, there's nothing controversial at all about it. Um, Don't worry, though, in addition to some sports, nutrition, and maybe just a little bit of Disney, we are going to learn some important truths from Paul's first letter to Timothy today. Um, Before we get started, I want to help us set up for the metaphor that Paul's going to use in this passage, and it's also the metaphor that we're going to use as we unpack it together. Paul uses this idea of physical training to help us understand spiritual training. Now, athletic metaphors were very common in Paul's time, and many philosophers would use this kind of metaphor in their moral teaching on how to become a good person. But Paul's going to borrow this same metaphor and use it to tell Timothy not how to become a good person, but how to become a good servant. So for many of you, this metaphor will be very easy to understand. I know in our church, we have a lot of athletes, right? You guys are out there running in the foothills every morning, tracking your progress on the Garmin, or maybe you're in the gym lifting weights or doing CrossFit or whatever athletes do. Um, This will be very easy for you today. And the challenge for you, though, might be to take some of that same discipline and time that you're putting into your physical goals and think about how you can put those into your spiritual goals. Others of you might be a little bit more like me. I probably have never run more than a mile at a time in my entire life, okay? I can relate a little bit more to Paul and Timothy in this way, as scripture indicates that each of them might have had some sort of ongoing health struggle that may have kept them from being the high energy, high achievers that some of you hill runners are. But that's not the point, right? The point isn't whether you're an athlete or not. The point is that we can all relate to how the body works. And we all know that it takes time and intention to become an elite athlete. So let's open up the scripture and see what Paul has to say about this spiritual training program. We're going to start in verse six. Paul says to Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So this is step one in Paul's spiritual training program. Identify your spiritual goals. Paul is saying to Timothy, if you keep up your training, you will reach your goal. 
we all have all kinds of goals, right? We might have financial goals or career goals, or maybe you have relationship goals or family goals. But what about spiritual goals? Have you ever thought about what your spiritual goals are? If you're a follower of Christ, Paul says that at least one of your goals is to become a good servant. Let me explain. If you remember where we are in this letter, Paul has been writing to Timothy because he wants Timothy to keep the church in Ephesus as a pillar of truth. There have been some false teachers infiltrating the church, and they've been compromising the true gospel. So Paul says here, if you put these things before the believers, that is exposing the false doctrine and teaching the true gospel, you are going to be aligned with your goal of being a good servant of Jesus. So the word servant there, it's the Greek word diakonos, and Josh mentioned this word a couple of weeks ago. It's where we get our word deacon from, which is a service role in some churches, but it's also just a Greek word for servant. And in another one of our uh, verses today, we're going to look at the verb form of that as well, diakoneo, which simply means to serve. So we can see that in this passage, everything that Paul's talking about in this section relates to what it takes to become a good servant of Jesus. So why do we need spiritual training goals anyway? You guys probably know that athletes don't just train randomly, right? I have a 16-year-old son, and he's a cross-country runner, and he's been training all summer for the upcoming cross-country season in the fall. I have seen his workout plan, and I can tell you that there's absolutely nothing random about it. He has very specific workouts that he's supposed to do every day that are designed to help him to run a certain pace by the time the season begins. Or maybe you're a triathlete, and so your training wouldn't only entail like running, but also you would need to do biking and swimming as well, right? So we can see that our goals will determine our training program. Likewise, if we are going to train spiritually, how would we do that if we didn't first set a goal? Of course, there are many smaller goals and there's benchmarks along the way in the Christian life. But if you are a follower of Christ, one of your goals needs to be to serve. Let's look at another passage on this. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's our same word, diakonos. It means service for the building up of the body of Christ. Here we see that the goal of church leaders is actually to equip the saints. That's you and that's me. That's everyone who's a believer. Their job is to equip us for the work of service. Does that sound like the kind of goal that our culture aspires to? Not really, right? They don't say, okay, work really hard, get a great education so that you can become a servant. No. Our culture would say that you should aspire to be whatever you want to be. And success in our society is measured by how closely you're living up to your own truth. But how is that working? Would you say that our society has become like a lot more harmonious and peaceful in this culture? Or how about individuals? Are people flourishing just so much more now than they have in decades past? Arguably, no. You don't have to look very far 
to see how divided and isolated this choose your own truth culture has become. The gospel gives us a better goal and a new purpose. Remember that Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of heaven. He was constantly telling people that the kingdom is at hand. Jesus is the king, and one day he's coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom in full right here. But if we are his servants, we are to serve his kingdom purposes here and now. And we see those purposes revealed in scripture. So I'm going to share with you quickly another metaphor to help us understand this point a little bit better. There is another kingdom in this world, and we all know about it, whether we like it or not. It's the magic kingdom, Disneyland, (laughs) the happiest place on earth, right? Okay, so you may or may not be a fan, but stick with me for just a minute, and this might be helpful. So when you enter the magic kingdom, after you've paid hundreds or maybe thousands now of dollars, right, to get in, you are entering a world that was born in the imagination of Walt Disney, right? So we can say for the sake of our illustration that Walt is the king of Disneyland. And the people who work there, they're the king's servants. And their job is to make his kingdom known to all the guests who come in. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You walk into smiling faces and magical experiences. But what if these servants did not actually bring the magical kingdom to bear in this way? What if instead of going to his uh, magical kingdom training, Mickey Mouse shows up to work and doesn't smile and wave, but he just sits on a bench with his AirPods in, with a grumpy look on his face, listening to his favorite rap song. Would he be serving the king? Would any of us have any idea of what the kingdom is like by encountering this mouse? No. Okay, I know this is a very silly metaphor, right? I know that Disneyland is not a real kingdom, and Mickey is not a real mouse, and Walt Disney is no longer alive, or at least he's frozen, right? (laughs) So the point is that the kingdom of God is a real kingdom, and it is present in those of us who serve the king. Jesus is the king. If you belong to him, your goal is to become a good servant and to show the world what his kingdom is like wherever you are. This is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is also what our world is aching for because the way of Jesus and his kingdom is the way of love. And it's the way to all that is true and to all that is good and to all that is beautiful. Jesus himself tells us that if we want to be successful in his kingdom, we need to be servants. Look what he says in Matthew 20, 26 through 28. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. That's our same word, diakonos. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking about himself here, came not to be served, but to serve. That's the verb, diakoneo. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So what are we aiming for? Well, if we want to be like Jesus, 
we're aiming to be servants. Let's see what else Paul says in his training program about this. Picking up in verse 6. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Here's the next step in Paul's training program. Nourish yourself with the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, okay, you have your goal. Now this is how you're going to get there. This word train in, uh, in this pass, in this verse in the ESV, um, it's, tra- it's translated trained, but in most Bibles, it's translated nourished. And I think this is what Paul is talking about here. We know from Paul's next letter to Timothy that Timothy has been brought up in the faith. We've looked at this verse in uh, previous messages, and you might recall it from 2 Timothy 1.5. I don't think it's going to be on the screen, so I'll just read it really quickly. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy was likely hearing the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies about the Messiah from the time he was very young, from his mom and his grandma, right? Just an aside here, isn't that the sweetest nod to those of us in the room who are moms or grandmothers or uncles or dads or grandfathers or teachers or anyone who has influence over children? The faith that you have and the words of God that you share are creating a legacy of influence that can impact generations. The letters that Paul wrote would have included only the most important ideas he wanted to convey. Letter writing in that time, as you might imagine, was extremely expensive, and it was very time-consuming. So the fact that Paul included Eunice and Lois in this letter to Timothy could only mean that their influence on Timothy was incredibly impactful. So don't underestimate the influence that you're having on the next generation. Okay, let's get back to Timothy. So he has been nourished in the word, and it says here in the good doctrine that he has followed. Do you remember Josh's message from the very beginning of this series about how to make sure you're following good teaching? Well, that's what Paul's talking about. We need to be careful about the doctrine or the teaching that we're following. Timothy didn't just listen to a couple of Paul's podcasts, right? He traveled with Paul for years on missionary journeys. He had heard Paul preach time and time again, and he saw Paul's life up close. That is a very good diet, a very solid doctrine. So let me ask you athletes in the room another question. When you're training, are you eating only once a week? No, right? I know a little bit about this because the budding athlete in our house is eating us out of house and home. (laughs) And I know you parents of athletes can relate to that. It takes a lot of nourishment to train well, right? So Timothy was getting this nourishment, and all of this solid teaching was helping him to become a good servant. But there's another kind of doctrine too, right? It's the kind that Paul's been talking about in his letter. We might say instead of good doctrine, it's bad doctrine or diseased doctrine. And what does Paul say about that here in verse 7? He says, have nothing to do with it. 
He doesn't say make sure you're getting in some good teaching while you're listening to all that other messed up, uh, messed up stuff over there. No. He says absolutely have nothing to do with it. So if we go back to Paul's athletic training metaphor, say you're an athlete and you want to run a marathon and you have a goal maybe in running a marathon in under three hours. I hear this is a thing. And so you look up a training program online and it would probably give you some very specific workouts. And it would probably give you some nutrition goals as well, right? Eat a certain amount of protein and carbs and fats. And it might give you a warning. Stay away from the junk food, right? The week before your race, are you going to be just loading up on McDonald's and Guru Donuts? No. You're going to stick with the solid nutrition that's going to help you be stronger and faster and more energized. So with spiritual training, if we're going to become good servants, we need to stick with good, solid teaching and the Word of God. We're not going to allow ourselves to get thrown off course by mixing in some other teaching that's going to confuse us with our goal. So what are you nourishing yourself with? I know many of us are listening to teachers or reading news stories that might be giving us a mix of Christianity with cultural priorities or maybe moralistic ideas that are more political than biblical. Or maybe you're binge watching too many Netflix series that are actually forming your ideas of what the good life is supposed to be like. We need to change our diets, friends. This isn't to say that you can't ever read the news or watch TV, but we do need to make sure that we're getting a steady diet of good, solid teaching on the Word of God. So I have some simple steps for us to make sure we're being nourished. Um, if you're new to the church, or maybe you've been at church for a while, but you haven't been cracking open that Bible, uh, you might want to start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is where you're going to read about the life of Jesus, and you're going to learn about what life in his kingdom is supposed to look like. Or maybe you've been reading your Bible for a while, so your next step might be to expand your reading of Scripture to make sure you're covering the breadth of Scripture. Don't be afraid of the Old Testament. You've probably heard people say that it's not a good idea to read the Bible cover to cover, or that's not how it's meant to be read. But from personal experience, I honestly can't think of a better way to make sure that you're not missing a single word of the text. When I first read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation all the way through a few years ago, um, it took me about two years. But honestly, it was one of the most fruitful times that I had in Scripture as I saw God bring his word to life every day. There are, of course, also Bible reading plans you can find online if you don't want to spend a month in Leviticus. Um, they will break them down for you. There's Bible in a Year reading programs as well. And since it's July, if you start now, you're six months ahead for 2024. So that's just a tip. All right. If you've done all of that and you're on a good, solid diet, maybe your next step is to be a Eunice or a Lois or a Paul. You can nourish someone else with the Word of God. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, and you don't have to know everything about Scripture. 
you can lead a life group or just disciple one other person. And all you have to do is open the Bible and see what God has to say. Okay, so we have a goal and we have nourishment. And what's next? So Paul says, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. So here's step three in Paul's training program. Exercise your faith. So what happens if you're all set to run this marathon and you're following those nutritional guidelines? You're, you're eating healthy food. You've got a lot of protein and carbs on board. And then you sit there on your couch for the next three weeks and do absolutely nothing you're not gonna become very strong, right? You're probably actually going to be stuffed and sluggish. Well, it's the same with spiritual nourishment. Some of us are stuffed and sluggish believers. Now, the nourishment that we get from scripture is crucial. We cannot skip that step. But it's not the end of our training. The word Paul uses in this verse for train is the Greek word gymnazo, and it's where we get our word gymnasium from. It implies some effort, right? There's something for us to do here. Some of you are hitting the gym every day, but are you hitting the spiritual gym? We need to exercise our faith. If we're going to be godly people, we're going to need to do godly things. Paul tells us in Galatians that if we live by the Spirit, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us, but we need to cooperate with Him. Later in our passage, Paul is going to use the words toil and strife to describe this kind of training. Do those sound like passive words? No. Those are very active words. Of course, I want to be very clear here. We're not talking about earning God's love, and we're not talking about earning salvation. God loves you, and he loves me before we do anything at all. And salvation is, as we know, a free gift from him. So we're talking specifically here about once we have put our faith in Christ and we do have eternal life in him, we're talking about training in godliness. We're talking about becoming the kind of people that serve his purposes. So what does godliness look like? Well, it looks a lot like obedience. I know we do not like that word at all, but look at what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is his teaching on what life in the kingdom is like. Matthew 7, 24 says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But remember what else he says. He says that those who don't do them, they're fools their house is going to come crashing down. You see, nourishment in the word is not enough to make us good servants. If we are wise and want to build our house on the rock, we need to follow Jesus' teaching. We need to exercise our faith. I love the story that I read this week about a Dutch man named Joe Schoenbrut. 
Last year, Joe officially became the fastest runner over age 70 when he completed a marathon in just two hours and 54 minutes. This is incredible, right? But what I love most about Joe's story is his training story. See, Joe did not even start running at all until he was 36. He went to the doctor and his doctor told him he has high cholesterol and he better start working out. So Joe bought himself some running shoes and he put one step, one foot in front of the other and he started running. And he kept running. And eventually Joe became a really good runner, obviously. But you know what made him a good runner? Consistency. The slow, steady progress of years of faithful running eventually brought Joe to a world record. And this is discipleship. The steady faithfulness of years of small steps, of obedience, eventually yields the fruit of Christ-likeness in our lives. Paul says that bodily training is of some value. The body is important, right? We all know that exercise is good for us. But godliness is a value in every way because it holds promise for this life and the life to come. We talked about this earlier, but if you're a believer, you are already a part of God's kingdom, here and now. You have a mission and a purpose you are not saved so that you can sit around and wait for heaven. We are to serve the purposes of God in this life. So how do we exercise our faith? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, speaks very clearly to this in James 1.22. And I'm going to be reading this from the NIV because it flows a little smoother. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So to exercise our faith, we are simply going to do what the word says. I have really been challenged in this area as I've been preparing this message. I have to be honest with you. And the months before that. Um, how many of you can relate to this? You hear a great teaching or you read a great passage of scripture and then you go about your day and do absolutely nothing different. You, maybe you hear uh, an inspiring teaching on fasting and you're just so pumped up about it. Or you read a passage where Jesus talks about forgiving your enemies and your, your heart's just so warmed by that. But then you do nothing different, right? You don't fast or you don't forgive. Me too. I've done this many times. But this is not how we grow. We need to take the simple steps of obedience whenever we read the word or hear a teaching that reflects the Bible's values. So let's get practical. How can we exercise our faith? Well, if you're a newer believer or you're just starting to think about your spiritual goals, maybe your first step is to prioritize your spiritual life. Maybe for you, just coming to church every week or joining a life group would be a great step because the Bible is clear that we are to gather together regularly because we need encouragement and we need nourishment in our faith. 
if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe your next step is to take those simple steps of obedience whenever you read the word. Instead of reading about prayer, pray. (laughs) Instead of reading about forgiveness, forgive that person that you've been holding a grudge against for years. Instead of reading about discipleship, disciple someone. Or maybe the goal that you've set for yourself has been too low. Maybe you've been a Christian for a really long time and um, you're what most people would call a good person. And that's great. But is that the only goal that God calls us to? No. We're called to serve him. And if we're serving him, we need to be after what he's after. And that's to seek and save the lost. We need to continue to exercise our faith as long as we live. Well, that brings us to our final verses for today. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive. Because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So here's our final step, or really it's our first step, right, in Paul's spiritual training program. Set your hope on Jesus. Why does spiritual training even matter? Because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the Savior of all. That's the gospel. Jesus died for everyone. But if you look at the rest of that verse, it says, especially of those who believe. It's kind of confusing language. But what Paul is saying here is that Jesus died for everyone, yes. But he's only the Savior, if you believe that. So let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? I want you to know that if you're here today and you're not sure if you've taken that step to actually follow Christ, you can do that today. You can just pray and ask him to forgive you of your sins and to lead your life. And then start to follow him. That's what it means to believe. And so those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, we have hope in him. Because of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And his Holy Spirit empowers us to become good servants and to live the good and beautiful life that is found in the kingdom of God, both now and into eternity. So Jesus came, he lived the perfect life here on earth. He died for our sins so that we can have eternity with him starting today. That's why we nourish ourselves on his word. And that's why we toil and strive for godliness. Because we have our hope set on the living God. And we want to make him known as well. Okay. As we close our time together, I'm going to read our entire passage in full. It's not going to be on the screen, so you can either close your eyes or you can follow along in your Bibles. But I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. I want you to listen to how he might be speaking and how he wants you to exercise your faith. Is it setting your hope on Jesus? for the very first time? Is it nourishing yourself 
on the word of God throughout the week? Or is it doing what the word says? Just listen to his spirit as I read his words. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who's the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.